0: I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, and we're breaking off the series that we normally do, have been doing. And I would like you to turn to the book of John. I don't know about you, but at times when we get into situations in life that sometimes are unexpected, that we turn to different passages of Scripture. Some of you, you turn to the book of Psalms. Some of you turn to different epistles or whatever. For me personally, when I go through difficult situations, I turn to the Gospels. That's my personal preference, especially the Gospel of John. And so what I'd like to do today is just break off our series, resume that this evening. I'd like to just preach what God has ministered to my heart in the last week, week and a half, from the Gospel of John in John 21. But Father, I pray that you would just bless in our Bible study that you would use this as words of encouragement to other hearts the way you've encouraged my heart. I pray help me to be delicate, but also to be very forthright. I pray as well, Father, that you would bless with those who are here listening, as well as the ministries with the children, that they would be fruitful and profitable. Thank you for the workers taking care of them. Thank you for the nursery taking care of the little kids. Thank you for the live stream. Lord, you know we've been having problems. We don't know if it's equipment struggles lately or wiring now. Please help the thing to work functioning today without any kind of disruption so that those who are watching would have benefit of it. We pray as well, Father, that you would also help in regards to some of our folk. We mentioned a number of them who are going through some physical difficulties. Some who are dealing with cancer battles. Some who have just come through surgery this week who are going to go through surgery. Several who have difficulties that this week need to be addressed with surgery. Boyd with his knee, Harlan with his heart. We pray as well that you would bless with the Brands with their baby that you would help Adeline to be able to get home quickly, help her to strengthen and to do well. We thank you for the way that you've blessed in lives of other individuals and assisting them and pray that you would continue to help, even in the regards of families who are going through battles, the most serious battles with loss of loved ones. We pray for Tom as he's doing the funeral service in Brazil today for Penny. We ask that you would use that to be of comfort and encouragement. We pray as well for Sherry Williams' family as we do that service on Saturday, that that would be impacting. We ask and uh, that you would continue to bless even those who are struggling at home that are going through uh, the challenges. We thank you that Toby's recovering. We thank you that Gail is back home and doing well. We pray as well for Mabel with her back problems, that you would give her some relief. And, Father, we thank you for other missionaries that we're yoked up with, for Scott. Murphy, and that, that award that he got, that doctorate, for recognition of his ministries for all the years there in the Apache Reservation. Thank you that he was acknowledged by his peers there at the university. And, Father, I pray that you would just help us right now to glean from your word, to put aside the cares, the busyness of t- later today, and to think about your word and what it says to our hearts, to my heart, to each and everyone here. So, Father, I pray that you would help in just feeble thoughts that I share, that it would be encouraging in some sweet way. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a gal um, that you may not have heard about, but she was a sensation several years ago. She was from North Carolina State. Her name is Kathy Ormsby. She was a runner who was in her junior year, and she was setting records as she was going through the NCAA different tournaments. She had been at the Penn Relays and set a record for all time on the 10,000-meter. So she was established and set to be able to meet in the NCAA finals when they were having the track and field uh, event there in Indianapolis. And she went, and she was the favorite to win the 3,000, the 6,000, and 10,000-meter races. And so when she got there, she did well. But when she entered into the race that she was the most equipped at, the 10,000-meter race, she began to run. She got to the 6,500-meter mark, and all of a sudden she veered off the track. She went out the side of the stadium, climbed over one of the fences that was there, and ran about a quarter mile down the road to a bridge. And she jumped off the bridge into a low waterway some 40 feet below. She um, ended up paralyzed from here down. Afterwards, she didn't fully understand and explain what she did. She just said she had just reached a point. And if that's the end of her story, it would have been so tragic. But it's not. What she did is she began to get involved with other people and helping other people through her tragedy to be able to minister to people, encourage them, and to face some of their life issues. Every single one of us runs in a race, and at times we veer off. We don't do our best. We climb a fence, we get off kilter, and sometimes we jump. Sometimes we fall. And if we remained in that injured spot, that would be a real tragedy. But John 21 tells us that Jesus Christ wants to minister in us and through us to help us to make sense of our difficulties and our tragedies. I love this text. It is a wonderful passage. It is so sweet. It is so filled with encouragement. Let me set the scene for those of you who are unfamiliar with it. This is an incident that occurs between the time that Jesus died and resurrected and the time he ascends up into heaven. It's in those 40 days. And what we have in John 21 is he has an encounter with all the disciples, but then we have one conversation between Jesus and Peter alone. And it's an interesting, short but very interesting conversation that takes place. In fact, it's the last recorded conversation that they have. The last time they had a conversation, it was totally different. The last time we had a recorded conversation between Peter and Jesus was in that upper room where Jesus is gathered with his disciples the night that he's going to die, the night he's going to be betrayed, the night that he's going to get arrested. Taken from Gethsemane and tortured and then crucified. During that conversation in John 13, what happens is Jesus is talking to all of the 12 there. He says something to, to uh, Judas. Judas gets up and leaves. But Jesus had previously said, One of you is going to betray me. And the response of the uh, other disciples is, You know, who could do this? It's not me. It's not me. Who could do this? And so as Jesus is talking to them, he says to all of them, hey, listen, for all of your accusations against one another, I want to tell you, you're all going to stumble tonight. You're all going to leave me. You're going to desert me this evening. And they start debating, and they say, no, we're not, no, we're not. And the most vocal person, surprise, is Peter. And Peter makes the comment, he says, though all the others would be stumbled, yet will not I. In fact, he goes on and he says, not only would I never do that, he makes this bold statement, I will lay down my life for you. He is sincere. He is dedicated. He is absolutely confident in his own self, too confident in his own self. And what happens, Jesus' responds, says, Simon, he says, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. And then he goes on, he makes a comment. He says, before the cock will crow in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Peter doesn't believe him. Peter doesn't think, I can slip, I can fall. But you all know what happens, right? Remember Jesus gets arrested? Where does Peter end up after he flees Gethsemane? Where does he end up? He ends up in the courtyard where Jesus is being tried. And a young lady comes to him and says, aren't you one of the disciples? And he says, no, no, no. Somebody else comes up. Didn't I see you with the disciples with that man? No, no, no. The third time, he makes it very clear and he swears a vow. He says, I never even knew this Jesus. And immediately what happens? And immediately what does Peter feel? Oh, absolute shame is a good word. He is devastated. Do you remember the account that just says, you know, that, that Peter was grieved in his heart? He is just devastated. Well, the story goes, Jesus is tried. He's crucified. He's buried. Three days later, he resurrects. And now he's meeting with Peter. And when he came that morning, Peter didn't recognize him. Peter was out in the boat over there somewhere with the others. They had decided they'd go fishing. They didn't want to just sit around waiting to see what would happen next. They went fishing, back to what they're used to. So they go fishing, and they didn't catch anything. Remember, all night long they don't catch anything? Jesus yells out, did you catch anything? And they say, nothing. He says, throw the net on the other side. So this guy, you know, here's here's the armchair quarterback telling the professional fisherman how to fish. And they drop the nets, and the nets are filled miraculously. Peter remembers this happened once before. Do you remember earlier on, two years earlier? Peter said when, when, he, when he had that happen, Jesus was in the boat. And Peter knelt down and he says, my, my Lord, my God, depart from me, I'm unworthy. Well, this time, Peter doesn't kneel down, but what does Peter do? He jumps into the, into the water and he swims to shore. He leaves his buddies with all the fish. And they, they are so impressed that John records years later, he says there's a hundred and, what is it, 53 or 58 fish? He even knew the, the number of big fish, he says, if you read the account. And so Peter, he's at shore, the others come, Jesus has breakfast. He didn't need their fish, he had breakfast already going for him. And uh, they have breakfast. And then in the conversation, Jesus has. Jesus talks with Peter one-on-one in private. And in this conversation, it is filled, filled with stuff that's worth us taking just a couple minutes and looking at the stuff there and then drawing some conclusions. He says, Jesus says to Peter, lovest thou me more than these You and I have to ask this question. We have to look at it where Jesus says in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my sheep or my lambs. He saith unto him again, Jesus, the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said to him, yea, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter's grieved because he said unto him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, just the first question got to ask is what are the these? Do you love me more than you love these? Was Jesus pointing to the fish? Do you love me more than your business, than your family occupation, than, than all of this stuff? Do you love me more than your car, your degree, your job, your bank account? That would be the comparison. Or is Jesus saying, do you love me more than you love these guys? These other guys that you're fishing with? Remember, that includes his family. He's got a brother who's here. He's got some cousins who are in this mix. Do you love me more than you love these guys? And so Peter, you know, is that what he responds? And he says, Yay, Lord, you know, I love. Or is it this? And I think it's this. Do you love me more than these men love me? Hearkening back to what Peter said just days before. When he said to Jesus Christ, when he said, Though all these guys would deny you, never will I. I love you more than these other disciples. And Peter this time, he's very cautious. Okay? Okay? Peter is, and I think this is the response. Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these guys love me? And Peter's going to be very careful. The way we find out how he's very careful is the words that Jesus used. And Peter responds, do you agapao me? And Peter responds, and he says, I philo you, phileo philo you. Jesus says, do you agapas me? And Peter responds, he says, I philo or philo you. Jesus asks the third time, do you really phileo me? And he says, you know I phileo you. Jesus is using terms that are throughout the New Testament. Some people just say he's just using terms interchangeably. And it's just, he's just using different words for love. And it doesn't have any meaning. There are some of us who think that he used specific terms for a specific reason. Now, understand that the word phileo and agapao, they're similar. They're used sometimes interchangeably and always in a good sense. So neither one of them is a bad term. But, you know, there are times where it says, for God's so, that's agapao. That's, time. that's where he really loves. When he writes and he says in 1 Corinthians, love you know, is the greatest, that's agapao. When he says in John 15, no greater love than a man has for a friend than he would lay down his life, that's agapao. When he talks about husbands, love your wives, that's agapao, very consistently. Then at other times, there is the word phileo. Now, phileo is used at times where God loved the one he sent, he phileoed him. There are some times where it says God loved the disciples, if phileo him. So they're both good terms. Is there a distinction? To, to some in the, who are much more scholarly, they will point out that agapao is a great love It's a wonderful love. It is usually more involved with the idea of, I will go to the point of personal sacrifice. I will lay down my life. I will, you know, God sent his son, you know, to this world. He loved the world so much. He was going to make a great personal sacrifice. Phileo has more of the idea of not just a feeling, where Agapago has more of commitment with feeling. Phileo is more of the feeling-oriented doesn't mean that it's a bad love, but it means I, I really, really strong. It's the family affection. It's the affection that we have for brothers and sisters. It's not the same as the agapao for our spouse. And so it's, it's a slight difference. Not too much, but a slight difference. Both are, I, I really, I, I'm, I love you. I love you, but different degrees. Yeah, you know, I love you. Would I lay down my life for you? Okay, there's, you know, we love people, but if we get a call in the middle of the night to say, come on over, and, you know, let's we may not go. It's inconvenient. Phileo agapao, you go. And so G- Peter, in this response, he's very careful this time. When Jesus says, do you agapao, Lord, I, I really have deep affection for you. I really love you. And three the t- the twice when Jesus says, do you agapao me, I-, I-, I really, he's careful. I'm not going to say I love you more than these guys. I'm just going to be more cautious right now. I'm not going to be boastful like I was a few weeks ago. And so Peter is cautious in what he says. Well, Jesus responds, and he says, Do you really flow? Oh, I really flow. I have deep affection for you. Jesus responds and says, Feed my lambs. Then he responds a second time and says, Feed my little bit older sheep. And then he goes back and he says, I want you to shepherd or feed my younger sheep. So he gives them this project. Because he fillets him. And in this comment, what's, important, what's interesting to me is Jesus says to Peter, who has been humbled, he says, I've got an important job for you to do. It's a very important job. You're going to shepherd. You're going to feed. You're going to take care. You're going to minister to others in my flock. And it's so important because it isn't Peter's flock, it's Jesus' flock. I'm going to entrust with you, in, with, in your care, the idea of helping others. Ministering to others who are believers as well. And so Jesus makes it clear to him. He says, these are people who are on all different levels. Little, big, you know, short, tall, young, old in the Lord. I want you to minister to them in some way. And so basically Jesus is saying to him, I want you to help the disciples on all levels. I want you to minister To the body, to the flock. I want you to do that. So when Jesus does this, I have to ask the question why do we get this record of this conversation? Why did it get put into the Bible? What benefit is it that we have this little short conversation? I think there's one benefit that's very clear. It's for those who knew Peter and knew his story, or those who would read it afterwards. If this wasn't put in, we'd be wondering what happened to Peter. Or how did Peter show up in Acts 1 being the lead preacher? You know, what, there's some, so this fills in details. Very good details. Wonderful details. I think to myself, this is a picture of grace. This is a picture of Christians the way it really is. We get forgiven, but we still struggle. For those who would think that we are claiming that because we have called upon Christ as our Savior and we're on our way to heaven, we are the greatest in the world and we are perfect. How far from the truth. None of us would claim that. We are sinners saved by grace. We are not perfect people. In fact, we still stumble. We still fall. In fact, we know that every one of us knows there are things in our minds. There are things in our privacy that we don't want other people to know about. We still battle. We battle with our minds. We battle with our habits. We battle with our words. We still struggle. That's why this is a picture of grace for combining it with 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful... And just to what? Thank God for that grace. I think it's here, this story is here to tell us how to respond to others whose fall. To respond like Jesus did. Not disown, not disclaim, not desert. But join in. Work together. I think there is a word of encouragement in this passage for every single one of us who says, I'm not all I should be. Okay, I'm, I'm not all I should be. I think you would agree if you, if you had a chance to stand up, you'd say, I'm not all I should be. I have areas to grow in. Is there the possibility that God can use us when we aren't All that we should be. So I look at this text and two marvelous truths come leaping off the passage in this simple conversation that encourage me this way. They have to be combined, but let me take them one at a time. The one truth that stands out so amazing, which is very important, God knows all about us. God knows all about us. He knows all about his disciples. He knew Peter's past. He knew that Peter had bragged. While he was there, he heard it. He knew that Peter had denied. Jesus wasn't right next to Peter when he denied. But when Peter denied, what happened? Jesus looked across that courtyard. He knew. God knows. God knows where we struggle. God knows when we fall. But as well, God knows our future. Look look a couple verses beyond this. Look at the next verse, verse 18. Jesus says, when you're old. He's telling Peter, he says, I know your future. I know what's going to happen to you. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be bound. You're going to be taken away. And so Jesus knows everything that's in his future. He knows everything that's in his past. He knew what Peter could do when he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. I know the potential that's in you. The potential that you don't even realize that's in you, Peter. I know it. I know what's in you. I know you still have ongoing struggles. Jesus knows all about us. I know your ongoing struggles, Peter. Do you remember in John chapter 1, the first time that Peter and Jesus met, Andrew brought Peter, and they have a conversation, and Jesus says to him, you are called Simon, son of Jonas, but you're going to be called... I'm going to call you the stone, the rock. I'm going to call you Peter. So before you were, eh, but I'm going to make you into something really strong, something more solid. Look at this text. Look at what does he call Peter? He doesn't say rock. He doesn't say Petras. What does he call him? Simon son of Jonas. Where is he taking him back to? He's taking him back to when you were young in the Lord. You still have growing to do, Peter. You're not the rock that I want you to be yet. You're still not there. You're still struggling. You know what he knows about? Peter, you still have some growing to do in this area. I would like you to agopao me but you, you, you're, you're close, but you're still phileo. And I want you to grow in that area. And I want to help you to grow in that area. I'm going to minister to help you to grow in that area. You're moving in the right direction, Peter. You're no longer proud. You're no longer arrogant. You're humble. You just, you're brokenhearted when I say, do you really love me? Lord, you know I really love you. The Lord knows all about us. I can relate to Peter. I'm not everything I should be. I still have Rome to grow, grow. I can relate to Peter that says, "I still have ongoing struggles. I need to fall more in love with the Lord." Can any of you relate to Peter that way in that regard? You know, there's a a true account that came out of Texas a few years ago. Texas put out a whole, their School Board of Education put out a whole new type of different history books that they bought and they put through the the multiple Texas uh, schools for this new courses in history. This was in the late 90s that they did this. And so the state bought all these textbooks. But then when somebody started going through the textbooks, they found all these errors in them. They found that in these textbooks they were putting in the high school, Napoleon won the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with history, Napoleon lost the Battle of Waterloo. They found out that President Truman ordered the A-bomb dropped on Korea. It wasn't dropped on Korea. It was dropped on... Okay, thank you. You guys know history. That's good. These writers didn't. They, they had this. Douglas MacArthur headed up the anti-communist movement of the 50s. No, it was Joe McCartney that did that. So they brought this to the attention of of the head of the state of the school board and said, you're putting history books into the kids' lives, and these history books have lots of errors in them. So they did more research, and they found out there was 5,200 different historical mistakes in the textbooks. Instead of admitting this is bad stuff, here was the authorized news release from the Texas school board. Except for the errors, these were the finest sets of textbooks ever written. (laughs) It's a history book that's giving wrong history. In the same way there are Christians who gather on worship like us who say, well, except for the problems, I'm a really good guy. Except for, I have these. Listen, we all flaw. We're all flawed. We all struggle. And the Lord knows our struggles. We can't hide them from Him. We ought to have Peter's attitude fess up. Make it come to the Lord and just say, I blew it. I'm not going to be persistent in saying, I'll never deny you. I did. I did. So, having that attitude and taking it a step further. We think this thought, Jesus knows all about us. He knows what we're struggling with. He knows right now. He knows. So, what do we do with that? If you're Peter, you have to respond and say, Lord, you know all things. You know my strengths, my weaknesses. You know my struggles, my ups and downs. You know everything. You know my thoughts, you know my deeds. You know where I need to grow. Lord, you know everything about me. You know how I really feel. Now keep that thought. Jesus knows all about us. And let's combine it with the second lesson. Let's combine it. Jesus still wants to use you. Maybe we should put them together in a single sentence. Even though Jesus knows all about us, he still wants to use us. Isn't that amazing grace that God would still want to use us? And in this account, we've already talked about, I want to use you to minister to other people. I want to use you in a very important task. It's important because of who who these people belong to. They belong to Jesus. It's important because this is going to be a difficult task, ministering to one another. It's important because you get new people, new, new issues, new challenges. It's important because some have different levels of needs. But I want to use you. I want to use you in this important ministering to one another. And it's not just preachers. Jesus says we are to edify one another. We're to build up one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to confront one another. We're to welcome one another. We're to receive one another. One another ministry. Ministering to other believers is critical in God's plan for this age. To be involved in a church. Ministering to a flock. In fact, it is God's primary task that he tells Peter... He says, Peter, I want you to go out and set up a good budget. No. Peter, I want you to administrate and organize the church. No. Peter, I want you to form some type of school. No. I want you to minister to other people. I want you to minister. I want you to work with one another. That same job that God gives us to say, minister. Even though he knows all about us, he wants to use us to minister to one another. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. When you think this through, I want you to do this as long as you have a commitment to me. Lovest thou me? Your love may not be perfect. You may not be agapa'o yet, but you say, I do phala'o you, and you know I out you, and he says, do you really? Yeah, I really do. I still want to use you. As imperfect and as areas of improvement are needed, I want to use you. Look at this. I have a job for you, Peter, despite your past. I have a job, despite your inabilities, you're still Simon, son of Jonas at times. Jo- I have a job for you. Even though you still have some growth to do in your life. But because you have repented, you have come with humility and say, God, I ain't all I should be. God, I still struggle. I want to know this. I don't want to know how much skill you have. I know what you have. I don't want to know how much knowledge you have. I just want to know this. Do you really love me? And if you really love me, are you willing to... To love one another and minister one to another. That is the criteria of loving Christ, is loving those who belong to him. Peter, you gonna do this? What does Peter do? It doesn't say in this story any more than Peter just says, Lord, you really know I love you. But then we turn the pages, a few pages to the right. And what do we read? Jesus goes back to heaven. And when Jesus goes back to heaven, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and they go out and they start ministering the word of God. And as they minister the word of God, they'll, they all start, some of them speaking in tongues. And some are saying, there are a bunch of crazy guys this drunk this early in the morning. And Peter says, no, 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 no. We're not drunk with wine. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And as he starts speaking to the crowds, Peter gives the message. He's the first preacher in the book of Acts. And he preaches, it says, you men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, hearken unto my voice. And he preaches a message. And as he's preaching that message, he says, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you're going to receive the same thing that we have, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The response of the people, to a broken Peter who has been recovered by Jesus Christ, who surrendered and said, I love you enough that in all my weakness, I'll do what you want me to do. As imperfect, as flawed as I am, I love you, you just work through me. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized and there were added 3,000 souls. Did God use Peter? Yes. So we bring it together and just, here's, here's the bottom line truth. God uses imperfect people in incredible ways as long as they are in love with him. Write it down. Think it through. Put it in your Bible. God uses imperfect people in incredible ways as long as they are in love with him. That's grace. Truly, he doesn't, he doesn't need us, but by grace, he uses us. Peter responded by saying, I'm willing. My question to you is, are you? Some of you are going to be asked to serve. Tonight, the group's getting together. They're starting to work on nominations for next year's officers. You're going to be approached, and people are going to say, are you willing to serve the body? And some of you are going to feel like, who am I? You're going to be like Moses. You're going to be like Gideon, who am I? I'm the least. Moses, who am I? I can't speak. But Jesus wants to use you. He can use you if you love him. But, but I'm still, I'm not perfect. None of us are. We all look good to one another, yay? We all look and say, man, if I had my act together like, and I can put your names in there. And, you, and if I said that out loud, you'd go, oh, if you only knew. But by grace, God can use us. If we are humble enough to make sure we're right with him, surrender to him in love, he can use us. Can God use you who have fallen flat on your face, leaped over a fence, and crashed? Can God restore and use you? The answer is, Yes, in incredible ways. Is it going to be the same as it was before? No, it's a new normal, but God can use you. Can God use you who have gone through divorce? Your marriage crashed. Can God pick you up and use you? The answer is yes. Maybe when you leaped over the bridge, you leapt into an addiction Can God use you as you grow out of that? The answer is yes. He has different ways of using us. But the question is will we be willing to serve? There's a song that we learned years ago when I was first saved. It's a beautiful song. It's a song about the longer I serve Him, what happens? What a hymn to close on this morning. Thinking about serving and how the Lord takes care of our every need and carries us through if we are willing to just serve Him. Since I yielded to the Savior, since my life He controls, Since I yielded to the Savior, since my life he controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter. longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows. The more that I love Him, more love He bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. the sweeter he grows your heads are bowed your eyes are closed as the instrumentals plays through you're here this morning you're struggling you're battling will you get right with the lord will you give your all to the lord and let him use you but maybe you're here this morning and you're just struggling with the simple fact you're not even sure you're on your way to heaven you aren't even confident of that most basic Bible truth that these things the Word says, I've written that you may know that you have eternal life. We want to give you that chance right now. If you are unsure of your eternal destiny, you are not sure that you're on your way to heaven, the Bible says you can be, we have staff that are over by the side door in a hallway there to your right of the auditorium. You are more than welcome to get up and walk over there and talk with man, a man, a woman, in private, And they'll show you what you need to do to make sure you're on your way to heaven. You don't join our church. You don't give any money to us. You don't become a Baptist. But you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then once that happens, you want to serve him. Child of God, will you serve him? Will you serve him? Will you minister to his sheep? Father, help us this day to not just hear this truth, but help us to live it out. Help it to be encouraging to the hearts here, Lord, the way you've encouraged my heart. I needed this. And I thank you for the simplicity. I pray by the Spirit's work that somebody may have been encouraged this day. And help us to live with appreciation and humility for the great love and grace you bestow upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.